From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and I'm joined today by Connie Malamed, a writer and consultant in the field of online learning, visual communication, and information design. She's a visual arts expert and the author of the books Visual Language for Designers and Visual Design Solutions. She also runs the website theelearningcoach.com, where you can also listen to her podcast by the same name. Connie, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the Learning Circle. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for being with us. I'd like to talk to you today about visual communication. Now, there's graphic design all by itself, but then there's this world of instructional design and of learning theory, cognitive science, and how people understand. So my first question is, do you see a synergy between these disciplines? I really do see a synergy because when we speak about instructional materials, so often they are visual. E-learning is a very visual medium. Um, manuals are visual. Job aids are visual. So I think it's really important to understand how people perceive and process visual information, including how text is arranged, and then aligning our message, our content, our information to what we know about how people learn and process information and to essentially to our cognitive architecture. Now, you're aiming some of your material toward non-designers, and a lot of people are timid. They think, I'm not an artist, I can't do this. But there's a difference between fine art and visual or graphic design. Can you draw out that distinction? Sure. Well, first of all, let me just say that about 50% of the people in our field, people who design learning experiences, don't necessarily have a degree in it. They came into the field because they were subject matter experts. And even people who do have a degree in the field rarely have been taught anything about visual design. So it's no wonder that people aren't going to be initially competent in design. So one thing that's really interesting and helpful is for learning professionals to realize that they do not need to be artistic. They do not need to be able to draw or render to be able to be good at visual design. Although some of the principles might be the same, such as the use of color and the use of space, the purpose of art is self-expression, whereas the purpose of visual design is to communicate a message. We can tell that art is successful if we find it beautiful or perhaps if we find it insightful. But in visual design, it has to be judged only by its effectiveness. So all we have to think about as learning professionals is, is our design, is our visual design communicating effectively? And if we can get that message across with clarity, then we have achieved our goal. So maybe another way to say it would be, would it be fair to, to say that fine arts in the eye of the beholder where communication design, you have a specific message, right? If you fail to hit that objective point, then you failed, right? That is exactly right. I wish it, I would have said it that nicely. But getting into the value of visual design, how do visuals benefit learning and what are the ways in which they influence learners? This is such a fascinating topic, and having written two books on it, I've had the joy of reading hundreds of 
cognitive science articles about graphics and learning. Okay, I skimmed the articles. <laughs> and our brain uh, has more resources to process visual information than to process any other sense by a long shot. And there are areas all around the brain that process visual information. So we might have an area that processes color and another area that processes motion, such as for animation, and another area that might process how things are laid out. So there are all these different areas of the brain that are processing visual information. We have to take advantage of that, and we can leverage that. So generally, a lot of the research shows that relevant graphics, not just any graphics, but relevant graphics improve comprehension. They help people retain information, and they improve the clarity of the message. Excellent. I think I remember that shape is one of the first things you perceive visually, mm. which is why I think that's helpful if, so you don't get eaten by a tiger if you're in the jungle. You know, you perceive the shape of a stop sign, even if it's backlit by the sunset you know, during the winter where that sun is right in your eyes. So how do you help instructional designers to think like visual designers? I like to tell people that there are, I, I think that there are three things that they really need to start working on. One is an awareness of design in the world around you. So if you're a learning professional and you're used to thinking about the content, um, learning theory, start to expand your consciousness into the world of design. And that means when you're standing in line at the supermarket, look at how magazines are designed. When you get junk mail or a brochure in the mail, instead, before you throw it out, or recycle it rather, look at it and see how, what, how is this designed? If you're riding the subway, look at the posters. There, look at the typefaces that are used on signs in stores. And over time, you will begin to see patterns and you will begin to see things that you like and you'll begin to get inspired and get ideas. And you can analyze and deconstruct the designs, find out what you like and what you don't like, and take that back into your work. So awareness is number one. Number two is learning the principles, and that's why I wrote Visual Design Solutions, because, and there are many, many other design books too. The design books will teach the basic principles such as how to do a layout, how to make a visual hierarchy, how to direct the eyes to the focal point. And finally... I think that people have to stop being hard on themselves and just practice and practice and practice. And over time, over the months and years, they will begin to get better. And rather than compare themselves with professional designers who have been doing this for years, 60 hours a week, I tell people to compare themselves to their previous work. After a few months of working on design, begin to look at your old work and you'll see that you have improved. That's great advice. I found in my own life, just looking around, absorbing references, mm -hmm. you begin to accumulate without realizing it techniques that you've just, you've learned just by looking at them. Yeah. It could be as simple as recognizing that you read headlines because they're bigger than everything else. And that goes to that visual hierarchy that you were right. talking about. I, I really, I love the way I like Starbucks advertising. You know, I like the way they present their stores and the packaging. So when I'm in line at Starbucks, I am not looking at my phone. I'm absorbing all of the uh, visual material that's around there and taking it back to my work. 
That's true. I'm a Starbucks devotee also, so <laughs> I, I, it's a feast for the eyes. It is, there. it is. I want to ask you a question about process. From start to finish, what does visual problem solving look like? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you called it problem solving because in the end, that's what a visual designer is doing. A visual designer is solving a problem. So, for example, let's say we have um, we are creating an e-learning course. Well, we have to come up with a solution, a visual solution of how are we going to present the information? How's it all going to be tied together? What kind of theme are we going to be using? So from the start, I think you have to align your design with the audience's likes and dislikes, with characteristics of the audience. You have to think, is this for skateboard designers or is this for a financial institution? So who is your audience? Because the design is going to reflect them and their tastes. And then I think once we know who the design is for, what type of content the design is for, and the flavor or the ma the underlying message that you want to project, once we do that, and that I would call that stage the research. Um, a lot of times in instructional design, it's called the analysis. But I like the idea of research, which comes from design thinking and usability. And then after we've got our research and we have a sense of what we want, then I think we have to ideate. And that means we're going to come up with ideas, uh, talk to other people, look at the materials, Look at what the organization, whether it's internal or external, look at what they've produced. Look at what you've done in the past and see if you can find some, some, uh, sen some visual sense of how things should look. And then to make life easier, it's not like we're graphic designers creating one poster. We might have to come up with 50 screens. So we're going to create templates and we want them to have some kind of theme, some kind of unity, uh, in color and style and shapes. And after ideation, then we start perhaps prototyping the visuals, the visual design, and showing it to others, showing it to audience members and to stakeholders, and finding out what's appealing to people. And then ultimately we, we get into implementation, where we are either handing over the design to another more experienced designer, or we are implementing it ourselves. That's outstanding. Is storytelling a part of that? We hear a lot about storytelling these days. Mm -hmm. And since we're talking about communicating visually, I'm just wondering how that factors in. Mm. In a broad sense, perhaps it does, maybe more in terms of themes, so that, you know, certainly in some cases you are doing storytelling and e-learning. But often maybe the underlying message that we're trying to project that we can think of in terms of a theme, is, is this supposed to be something that's very sophisticated for an, you know, do we have a backstory on the people, on the audience? So, in that sense, perhaps storytelling is involved in terms of the visual theme. I heard a great example yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, at we're both at a conference right now. This is how we've had the opportunity to to meet and talk. And someone used an example about how Toyota had an ad for, I think it was the Camry, okay. but they didn't even show the car. What they showed was a baby with bubble wrap around it and communicating the idea of how your precious cargo is safe and cushioned. Interesting. And, boy, that tells a story that we can all relate to. We're, and when we buy products, we're telling ourselves, I'm buying this car because it'll offer safety to my family. So it's just a reminder to me that 
those stories aren't necessarily the beginning, middle, and end kind, mm. but they can just be captured in an image. Right. It's that underlying message. That's true. And I, I definitely see that more in advertising. I have another example. Sometimes I'll get a catalog like from Crate and Barrel or from a cabinet company, and sometimes the only thing in there or, or the majority of things in there are families happily entertaining, you know, kind of these, this, this idealistic family or group of people just having fun together and a lot of love and togetherness is being expressed. And in that sense, you know, storytelling could be part of it. It's just kind of interesting to try to relate advertising and branding to an instructional experience. Yes. I think, I think that you can. Um, yeah, there's a lot conveyed. I mean, in that example, it's, you know, if I have these things, it'll help create an environment where we've got a loving family, we enjoy each other. So, yeah, yeah, that's very valid. Now, it's interesting that positive emotions, and that could be part of the storytelling. There's some research that's beginning uh, to come out about the aesthetic experience and how that gives people positive emotions, and that positive emotions open the mind and make learning easier and better because somebody is feeling good about things. So that's why I think the aesthetic experience is so important in learning. So feeling positive in itself is a condition for better learning. Right. It's motivating. Yes. Because how often have you gone to a horrible website that's frustrating? And when you're frustrated, your mind kind of shuts down. You're in a, a smaller space, a smaller mental space. Or if you're depressed about something, you think, I'm not doing a darn thing. I'll just go for the haagen now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because it gives you tunnel vision. When right. you're depressed, it, it, you actually have tunnel vision. You can't, your mind is not expanded. You can only focus on a very small world. That's very true. That's very true. And that's not conducive to learning. No, I, I would not think so. Now, we see a lot of trends. The technology is changing. It's mm -hmm. changing our roles. It's changing what we thought in the past that you know one person might do themselves. Is it becoming more common for the roles of visual design and instructional design to merge as a single person's responsibility? And is that a good thing in every case? I mean, there's something to be said for specializing, and there's also that individual comfort level. So what are your thoughts on these types of trends? Okay, well, whether it's good or not, I think it is a trend, and I don't know if there's anything that we can do about it. But when I started out in the field, there were very large teams with perhaps an illustrator, a designer, a graphic designer, maybe a 3D artist, you know, someone who could do the, uh, the rendering. And now it is often on one person, which is where the rapid e-learning developed from. Or maybe it's the other way around. Rapid e-learning tools came around and people said, oh, we can do this with one person. And that's why there, I see a heightened interest in visual design because we've got these people who've been trained to do instructional design or people who are coming in as subject matter experts and they have no idea how to lay out a slide or a screen and, and how to make it look appealing so that people have a positive experience. So the two are coming together, are definitely merging together and... I mean, sure, I think that many instructional designers would love to be able to hand over their ideas and their prototypes to a professional designer, but it's just not realistic in this world. So that's why not only instructional designers, but perhaps their managers and others associated with them 
need to have a sense of visual design so that they can know whether something is appropriate or not. And in fact, even if an instructional designer is working with a professional visual designer or graphic designer, they make a good team. They can go back and forth and collaborate because although the visual designer might have an idea or, you know, might implement something, the instructional designer might say, you know what, having that logo on every screen is extraneous information and it's a visual cue that they don't need. So we should take that off. So they're going to have a better under, the instructional designer is going to have a better understanding of the cognitive science or the learning theory and they can work, collaborate with the graphic designer to come up with something that's perfect. That's excellent. And having that sense, like you said, of the logo on every page, it can be a sophisticated sensibility to do that reduction where you make things simpler right. and you take more and more away, the less is more kind of a thing. It's so uh, hard. It's very hard. But when you simplify things, you amplify things. And But it takes training and, and an eye for that to uh, know how to do that. To develop. And my experience when I worked in large teams was that over time, the full-time graphic designers began to get a better sense of instructional design, and they would come up with great ideas, and vice versa. And the instructional designers would come up with good visual ideas, just because the team starts to merge, you know, mentally. It's true. It's true. I've seen that. My background includes running teams of visual designers, animators, and programmers, and getting that. And then with the broader team, the instructional designers, having them form and mm -hmm. speak each other's language. It's an amazing thing when it that is. happens. It is. It's beautiful. Right? Yes. <laughs> this has been a great discussion, Connie. Where can we find out more about your work and your writing? I really enjoyed speaking with you. People can come to my website, theelearningcoach.com. I have over 250 articles there that I've been writing there for about five years. Wow. On all topics related to learning. And then I've got a podcast, which I'm so happy to find out about your podcast, and I will recommend it to people. And my book is Visual Design Solutions. It was published one year ago, and it's a book to teach visual design to learning professionals. It's a beautiful book. Thank you, Connie. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.